First John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. He says, we don't yet know what we will be, but we do know that when we see him, we will be like him. Why don't you say that? When I see him, I will be like him, because I will see him as he is. You see, looking like Jesus, which is the assignment and call of God on, on the life of every believer, is it not? To be conformed into the image of his dear son? Isn't that the, the idea? <laughs> Some people get mad at us sometimes because we do things that sound like Jesus. And they say, well, you're just trying to act like Jesus. Bing, 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 bing. Absolutely. You're just trying to act like Jesus. The only thing wrong with that statement is I'm not trying. I'm not laboring. In order to act like Jesus, I must let the grace that is in me labor. I can't labor in myself. I can't put this on myself to try to measure up within my own strength. There is a measuring up. That's why the book of Ephesians says, let us all grow up. Let us no longer be children growing up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, who is the head. So we have Jesus, who is the head of this body. How many of you know it would not be fitting and appropriate to have a full-grown man's head on the body of a six-month-old? That just sort of turns your stomach. It's like, that just, that's not right. Well, you're right, it's not right. And it's not right for the head who, who is Jesus, the head of this church, for his body to stay small and stay young and stay immature. He said that we should grow up into him. Speaking, here's the key to our growth, speaking the truth, how? In love. Man, anytime you're looking for growth, anytime you're looking for progress in your life, you will not have to look back very far to connect it to love. We grow in love. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 21, He who has my commandments, hears my commandments and does them, is he who loves me and my Father will love him and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Is this what we've been looking at for three days now? I want you to put John 14, 21 on this screen behind me, but I want to look in the Amplified Bible. This is what we are after. And this pursuit does not end tonight when this service is over sometime past midnight. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Maybe. You'd be all right with that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Don't you hate it when preachers ask questions like that? Oh, you want to go longer? You got four or five people. They're like, yeah, go. And about 18 or 20 of them are going, oh, dear God, I wish this guy would... But hey, there is nothing more precious and nothing more valuable. I guarantee you, whatever it is you think is more important than a manifestation of Jesus is not more important. Amen. I want to look at this. John chapter 14, verse 21 in the Amplified. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Uh, the, let's, here you go, the Amplified. The person who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love Him and will show, reveal, manifest myself to Him. And this is what it means to, to have something made manifest. I will let myself be clearly seen by Him and make myself real to Him. How many of you 
would like for God to be even more real to you in your life. You might think, well, he's real to me. I know him and he knows me and I believe that and I would say that. But I'd also say he can be even more real to me. I hadn't seen all there is to see yet. And you have not seen all there is to see yet. But I should see more tomorrow than I did today. I should see more tomorrow than I've ever seen before in my life. Again, this whole thing is ascending. We're ascending. We're going up. And Jesus said, I will reveal myself to him. I will make myself clearly seen to him. Make myself real to him. That's what I want. That's what I'm after. Jesus made real to me. Because you see, when Jesus is made real to you, that just ends the argument. People want to argue with you about the reality of Jesus. You know, we just moved past the Easter season. And inevitably, every time Easter comes around, which we celebrate as the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you turn on the television, and you know how the world celebrates Jesus in this Easter time? They do a, they do a microscopic study of whether or not Jesus Christ was a fictional character or a real character. It's nothing but an argument. People trying to argue, was he real, was he not real? Did he really die? Did he really raise from the dead? Is it just fiction? Is it just a story? Is it just folklore? But listen, when he's become real to you, argument's over. People may want to fight with you. They may want to argue with you. But you say, look, look at me. Look at me. Just, just look head to toe. Life was miserable till I met him, and now it's not. How are you going to argue with that? How are you going to argue with fruit? You know what I mean by that? Why would you walk up to an apple tree with apples hanging off every limb and go, you're not an apple tree. That's not an apple tree. Folks, the argument's over. There's fruit. There's proof. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's proof that the Spirit is in you and on you and leading you and guiding you. It's proof. You can't argue with proof, can you? Oh, they still try. But you just smile and wave. Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. You just smile because the argument's over. When Jesus said, it is finished, that redemptive work was finished. Your redemption was bought and paid for. But guess what else was finished? The argument. The case against him was finished forever. Amen? I want you to go with me this evening and let's look at several scriptures. And I I have to give you fair warning about something right now. I don't know very much about what I'm about to tell you. Comforting, right? (laughs) It's just the plain, honest truth. Honestly, I don't feel that I know enough about it to stand here and tell you this. But I am obligated to say what Jesus tells me to say. And so if you're okay with that, what you're going to have to do is not listen to me. You're going to have to listen to the Spirit of God. And there may come a point in this evening where you've got to quit listening to me and start listening to him and listen to him say things that I don't know. And maybe I'll say some things that I don't know. I'd be just fine with that. But I just feel that I have to give you fair warning. I don't know enough about what we're about to get into. But yet, I'm not sure I've ever been as excited and so blessed And what we're about to get into tonight, something has happened to me in the last several days. Sometimes I wish the Lord would give me a message like weeks in advance. 
It just doesn't seem to work that way. I don't know why it is. I try. I try. But something happened to me just a few days ago that let me know, okay, this is what it's all about. And as far as I'm concerned, what's about to take place in here tonight is what we've been moving towards for three days. Last night was a wonderful night, but it was foundation for tonight. You believe we can go higher? I do too. Let's go first of all tonight to the book of Exodus chapter 33. And if you'd like to, you can also find the book of first, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Exodus 33, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I've never really understood why we had people find multiple places at one time, to be quite honest. It's not like it's going somewhere, you know. You don't, 2 Corinthians will be there the same way it always was. But if you want to go ahead and find it, feel free. I just, maybe that's just religion or something. I'm not sure. I'm not going to quit doing it. I'm just saying I don't get it. Okay, second, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 33. Let's start reading in verse 12. This is an account you've heard before about a man named Moses. And Moses had a very interesting encounter, to say the least. He had an experience with God that no doubt marked and defined his life for the rest of his life. And as a matter of fact, I believe this experience that he had with God has defined his life for us. And many times when we think of the man Moses, it's this example and this illustration, this account. Exodus 33, verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people verse 14 and he said God said back to Moses my presence will go with you and I will give you rest I love this answer Moses talked very boldly with God he had a relationship with God that I dare say no other person on the planet had with God and he spoke very plainly with him and he said look God you said that uh, you said that, that you are with us. You said that we found grace in your sight. Notice what he said. Let me just read it to you again. See, you, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. I want to know, if you're saying all this about us, if you're saying we're supposed to go somewhere, if I'm supposed to lead these people, you have not yet told me who you're going to send with me. And I love God's answer. He said, uh, I'm going with you. My presence will go with you. Now, I want you to take note of, the, of just the verbiage, the language that's used in this illustration. We'll make note of some of these things in a moment. He said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said in verse 15, uh, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. In other words, yeah, I know you're going. Duh, because if you're not going, I'm not going. If you're not going with us, don't even bother bringing us up from here. 
For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight? That's about the third time he's mentioned this, finding grace in the sight of God. Now, somebody remind me real quick. Are we in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Old Testament, okay, interesting. How then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except that you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. I, I, I know I just asked you this, but I've seemed to have forgotten. Are we in the Old Testament or the New Testament? We are in the Old Testament, folks. But what Moses has here with God, this exchange, this conversation that Moses, this Old Testament guy, has with God is dangerously close to a New Testament experience. Dangerously close. Just listen to the way they're talking to each other. You're telling me I have found grace in your sight? Is that not, that's not just a New Testament word. That's the New Testament word. And Moses is saying, if I have found grace in your sight. And God is saying to him, yes, indeed, you have found grace in my sight. That word is so loaded, so full, so packed. It means favor. You have found favor, Moses. And God is making this promise to him. I'm going with you. God, this is so New Testament of God. I'm like, what are you doing? You are like a few thousand years early here. Stop this. I'm going to go with you? It's Jesus who says, Lo, I am with you wherever you go to the ends of the earth. What are you doing telling this Old Testament guy that you're going to go with him? This is dangerously close to a New Testament experience. I've, you found grace in my sight? What else did he say? I will go, my presence will go with you. Check this out. And I will give you what? Rest. There's another big New Testament word. Now, rest is something God did institute in the Old Testament, but he instituted it as a picture of what was to come. Rest is a big, 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 big deal to him. Rest is a big thing to him. You remember when rest showed up? That first week, week number one. And when God looked back on that seventh day, and actually, all throughout that week, what did he say every time there was a day that was completed? He looked at the work and he saw that it was good. Saw that it was, say it again, good. Day one, saw that it was day two, saw that it was day three, it was four, five, six. What did he say about seven? The day of rest. It's holy. He separated that day of rest and he said, this day is holy. And if you read just somewhere in here in this, this, I think it's in Exodus on into Deuteronomy, you're going to find out that God was so serious about it. He said, look, if you go outside of your tent on the Sabbath day to do work, I'm going to kill you. Now, I can't explain all that, but I am telling you that this rest thing with God is very, very serious. 
And just a quick little side note here. God is not impressed by your refusal to rest. I'm a minister. I don't have time to rest. I'm working in the kingdom. We can rest when we're dead. It's, it's as all, almost as though we think that God is going to show up someday in our lives and knock on the door and say, thank you so much. Thank you. You know, I created, I created two days out of every week or at least one day out of the week for you to rest, but thank you for ignoring that. Thank you for doing your own thing. You are so much smarter than I am. Wow. It's almost as though he's going to show up in your life and say, thank you for ruining your health by not resting. Thanks so much for not spending the time with your family that I gave you to spend with your family. Thank you. Thank you for ruining my reputation in the eyes of your children. Can I tell you how much I appreciate that? Your kids hate me now, no, though, but at least you was in the ministry. Yeah, you died 20 years early because you refused to rest. He ain't going to say thanks for that. Not when he's told you to do something else. So the reason I'm saying all this is because this is this, this picture. We're seeing this picture and it's dangerously close to a New Testament encounter and experience. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So I think Moses, we'll call him Mo. I think, I'm kidding. I think Moses is starting to sense that I'm getting somewhere with him. He's listening to me because Moses says something and then God says, okay, I will also do this thing that you have asked. I will also do this thing that you have asked. And Moses is, you know how you get, you know, you get a little free, you get a little loose, you get comfortable with somebody and what used to, uh, you know, you didn't want to infringe, you didn't want to ask too much, but you know, when you get used to somebody, we've been at Nate and Evan's house for like three days now. And you know, when you show up, it's all niceties and politeness and stuff. Now I just walked straight to the refrigerator. And we asked them something this afternoon. I don't even remember what it was. And, and Evan was like, yeah, we don't care. It had something to do with the house. We don't care. And I was like, man, you guys are so nice. Y'all are so easy to take advantage of. Thank you so much. <laughs> what happens when you get comfortable with somebody? You get bold. You get bold and you start requesting stuff that you might not have requested a little while back. But Moses is having this experience with God. And he's like, okay, you're going with me. You're going to give me rest. You said I found grace in your sight, which let me add something to that real quick. Grace. I love the expression found grace in my sight because I don't care what side of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John you live on, Old Testament or new. The only place to find grace is in the way the Father sees you. Ooh, I got excited about that earlier. You found grace in my sight. Grace is found only in the way he sees you. Amen? Are y'all with me tonight? Come on, get in, get in this, man. This is nice. I like it in here. Come on, get in this with us. So Moses is, again, testing the waters here. He's found grace in the sight of God. God's presence is going with him, which is what Jesus said, and the Spirit's going to fill, fill you, and He's going to go with you. So we're getting really close to this New Testament experience. Found grace, presence is going with you. I will give you rest. And so here comes probably 
the most bold and brazen thing that anybody ever has said to God. In verse 18, Moses says, I'm going all in. Here we go. And he said to him, please show me your glory. He's gotten everything else he's asked for up to this point. And he says, I'm going all or nothing. I'm going for broke. Please show me your glory. What did God say, verse 19? Then he said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious, there it is again, to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For no man shall see me and live. So I've heard this preached a number of different ways. Moses said, show me your glory. And I've heard people say that God said, you can't see my face. But what he showed was his goodness and, his, and the glory is his goodness. The glory is uh, his presence. And it, it is all those things. And th- this is where we get to the part where I just don't know enough, Okay. I just don't, I'm, I'm not theologically astute and aware enough to tell you what he saw or what he didn't see, but I can tell you this from what God said, he didn't see it all. He didn't see everything. I know that. Can you see that? Does that bear witness with you? I mean, are we in agreement here? Whatever it was he saw that day, and let's agree, he saw some stuff. He saw some stuff, y'all. I mean... I don't know what I think about this, but I've heard uh, Jewish religious scholars have said that when God showed Moses his back, that that's when Moses saw everything from creation forward. Because it all existed in God, and that's what was behind God. Sounds good to me. (laughs) I like it. I don't know if it's true, but I like it. So whatever it was he saw was amazing. But I do know this, he didn't see it all. Somebody tell me what he didn't see. What did God say you cannot see? Moses said, show me my glory. He said, okay, here's what I'll tell you what I'll do. I, I, I will show you my goodness and I will put my hand over you and as I pass by, I'll remove it and I'll let you see my back. But no man shall see my face because no man shall see me and live. So there are these three things that connect. They're three, but they're one. His glory, his face, and himself. No man shall see my face. No man shall see me. And that makes sense to us, right? I mean, this is kind of a strange example, but if you didn't have a face, we couldn't recognize you. It'd be hard to know that you were you, right? That's, that's you. That's you. You recognize each other by the face. And when you think you recognize somebody by some other facet of them, you go out on a limb and you might have an interaction that ends up being kind of awkward because you thought whoever that was was somebody else. I don't know why this sticks out in my mind, but I must have been, I don't know, eight years old. 
And we had gone to the grocery store, and my parents went inside. We went inside as a family. I don't really know what happened, uh, except that I told one of them, I said, I'm going back to, I want to go back to the car. I want to go back to the car. And they said, okay, go back to the car. You can sit and wait on us. Well, I'm walking back to the car, and there's a car in the parking lot that I thought was our car. Looked just like our car. So you know what I did? Yeah. I went and stood on the back bumper of this car and started jumping up and down. And I saw a head in the front seat thinking, my dad must have come back to the car. I'm jumping up and down on the back seat of the, or the back of this car on the bumper, and the whole car's going like this, and the person in the front seat whips around and looks out the back window. It wasn't my dad's face. I didn't know her. And you know what gave it away? It wasn't his face. That was somebody else's face. And I was like, sorry. Thought it was our car. How do you explain that to your parents? <laughs> then there was the day my mom caught me trying to light an entire book of matches on fire in the parking lot, but I don't know what that has to do with anything. I just had a couple of strange parking lot experiences, I think. But it's the face. We recognize each other by the face. And whatever of God that Moses did see, as wonderful as it was, somebody help me, was it complete? No. There's something missing. He came all the way up to what I call this New Testament encounter and experience. And God said, okay, buddy, that's far enough for right now. And I'm reading this thinking, God, what are you doing? Stop, hold on. All that's for us or something. I mean, you can't give that all that away. And that's why he said to him, I'll show you my goodness. I'll show you what's behind me. But you can't see my glory, my face. You can't see me and live. And when he says you can't see me, what he's saying is you can't see what makes me, me. The glory of God is the presence of God, but it's more than that. It is the, it is the very essence of God. The glory of God is what makes God, God. And Moses is asking, he is saying this, Give me an experiential knowledge with the part of you that makes you, you. I want that. See, I've had the cloud and we've had the fire, but I want the part that makes you, you. We've seen the demonstrations in Egypt. We saw what you can do. Yeah, you're tough. You're strong. Everybody gets it. You tore a whole sea in two. We get it. I want to see you. I want the part that makes you, you. Did he get it? No, he did not. Let's find out what he did get. Second Corinthians. Is it still in the same place it was? Second Corinthians chapter 3. I hope you're hearing this tonight. Look at verse 7. It says, But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, what's he talking about? He is talking about what we just read. Because it was just after this experience that God spoke to Moses and said, Take two stones and engrave on them 
the commandments that I gave you that you broke the first ones. He's talking about these 10 commandments and he calls it the ministry of death. Now here's what I want you to do. Is this on the screen tonight? Every time you see a word like glorious or glory or something that has that in it, glory, we're going to read it out loud together. This is what we're talking about tonight. This, the essence of God. So let's try this. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steady at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For what is passing, if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. He is talking about the Exodus 33 experience. This is New Testament looking back at what happened that day on that mountain with Moses and God. Now, if you had to put in one word what this experience and what he's talking to us about, what word would you use? The title of this, we are talking about the... How many times did we just read that word? Glory, 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 glorious, glorious, glorious. We're talking about the glory. He's giving us a glimpse into what happened that day. Once again, I don't know enough about this. I don't know what Moses saw. I know it was significant enough that he stood up there. He, he was up there for 40 days, ate nothing and drank nothing, but was sustained by whatever it was he saw. And it was so real and so vibrant and so bright, it got on him. And he came down that mountain and his face was glowing, y'all. It was glowing. He had to put a veil, a veil over his face. This is, this is key. He had to put a veil over his face. And you read that in the Old Testament, and you think, you know, man, Moses, your face is just too bright to look at. But that's not why, according to 2 Corinthians 3, they put the veil there. He, let, me, let me see if I can find this. Look at this again. Verse 11, for, what if, for if what is passing away was glorious, whatever he saw that day, it was glorious to a degree. Now, it was a large degree, but was it complete? Why not? What didn't he see? Come on, say it out loud. What didn't he see? The face. The face. And it was because that glory was passing away. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Can you see that we are comparing two separate glories? 
This is a tale of two glories. He's comparing the glory that was passing away with the glory that remains. Verse 12, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. A veil is serious business. It sort of just worked its way into our culture and we use it in weddings and things like that, but go study the origin of it sometime. I mean, go, go find out what that thing was all about. It's a serious deal. To cover the face was a serious thing. It's still very much alive in certain cultures and even other religions. Still very alive to cover the face. Think about what a big deal a veil is. You remember the story of Jacob and Laban and he wants to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel? And the Bible is so interesting when it talks about that story because it reveals to us a couple of facts that otherwise I'm not really sure why we need to know them, but he says that Rachel was very beautiful and Jacob loved her from the moment he saw her. He loved her. She was beautiful. But how many remember the other sister? Somebody say the other sister. What was her name? Leah. And you know what the Bible says about Leah? Basically, she had a nice personality. That's, that's essentially what the Bible says about Leah. It was like, Rachel, really pretty. Leah, not so much. Seriously, go read it for yourself. Do you remember what happened, though? Laban told Jacob, you work for me for seven years, and I will give my daughter Rachel to you in marriage, and she'll be your wife, and you'll be free. And the Bible... Uh, it's so great when you get these little glimpses into the souls of people. It says to Jacob, it seemed like no time passed at all. So in love with her that seven years flew by like that. And there he is on his wedding day, and here comes the bride. But how many of you remember this story? Does anybody remember this story? Was it Rachel behind that veil? No, it was the other sister. Now, folks, that's a serious veil. I don't know if this was like a full body veil or what, but it was, a, it was serious enough that she comes walking down the aisle and Jacob's like, here she comes. Well, okay, it must be Rachel. Here she comes. He's so happy, so excited. Stands there, gets married. It goes into a few other details. Marriage night details. Also tells us that there was a lot of drinking going on that night. And it wasn't until the next morning that Jacob came out of that tent and said, hey, you tricked me. Folks, that had to be a serious veil. And she must not have taken that thing off all night long. <laughs> now, there's a very clear moral to this story. And it is this, do not drink alcohol or you will marry the ugly sister. <laughs> Isn't that what the Bible says? <laughs> kind of? <laughs> but now you can see what a serious issue a veil really is. What does a veil do? It clouds vision. You don't see distinctly. 
Verse 14, but their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil, oh my Lord Jesus, this is where it gets good. The veil is taken away in Christ. The veil is removed in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, but even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord Jesus Christ, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, what? The glory of the Lord. No veil between us. No more veil between us. Beholding as in a mirror. Make a note of that. Beholding as in a mirror. The glory of the Lord. Being transformed into the same image. What image? The image you're looking at. To look like Jesus, looking like him, begins with looking at him. Beholding Jesus to be transformed into that image begins with looking at him. Being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Don't quit. Keep reading. Check this out. This gets gooder and gooder. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we who have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now let's not, let's not move too quickly past this truth. How many have heard this expression that we just read a few verses ago? We are going from glory to glory. You ever heard that before? We're going from glory to glory. What's that mean to us when we say it? Well, you know, we're going from, from one level to another level. Shout amen, somebody. Going from glory to glory. We're just going from glory to glory, brother. Glory to glory. And that, that in, in a sense, that is what that means. But go back and put that. Read verse 18 again. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Same image. I want you to say the words with me again. From glory to glory. What? has these last 10 or 11 verses been about? Been about the glory Moses saw, which was a great experience, saw some powerful stuff, but it's been in comparison to this other glory. And when that veil comes off your face and you see Jesus, you go from glory to glory. It's not just talking about another level. We're comparing two glories here. We're comparing this glory that as good as it was, was incomplete. And we are going from that one to this one. Are you with me so far? What glory are we going to? 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the light of the gospel, you quit saying this word on me, you're supposed to say this word every time we see it, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ the gospel is the glory of Christ Jesus the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should shine on them verse 5 for we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus our Lord him we preach and ourselves your bond servants for Jesus' sake, get ready to jump out your chair. Verse 6, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where is it? In the face of Jesus Christ. Somebody tell me what Moses did not get to see. The face. Somebody tell me what we get to see. The face. That's the glory we're going from and this is the glory we are going to. Ladies and gentlemen, the veil has come off and you and I get to see the face. The light of the knowledge of the glory. Do you know what this word knowledge means? means experience. See, there are two types of knowledge. There's knowledge with experience and knowledge without experience. And they're very different. The example I often use is who do you want flying your airplane? A pilot with 10, 15,000 hours of experience or a guy who's seen Top Gun like a hundred times? read a bunch of airplane books, subscribes to a bunch of airplane magazines, never actually flown a plane, knows a lot about airplanes, could even point to parts, identify different kinds, two different types of knowledge. Knowledge with experience, knowledge without experience. Who do you want flying your airplane? Knowledge with experience. And this word knowledge, to give us the light of the knowledge means to have an experience. What did Moses, in all that he saw, as wonderful as it was, that saturated him, that saturated his face, in seeing the goodness of the Lord, what was it he asked for? Give me an experiential knowledge with the part of you that makes you you. And God said, Moses, I'll do a lot for you, but I can't do that. I can't do that. Because you can't see my face. This is the part of me that makes me me. And if I showed you that, I could show you, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> That's what he said. No man shall see my face. No man shall see me and live. But the same God who caused the light to shine out of darkness. What's he talking about? Day one. Let there be light. In the magnificence 
and magnitude of what happened and occurred as the result of those words is on the same level as what happened on the inside of you and I when the light came on and we saw the face of Jesus Christ. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, I'm going to give you what I could not give him. I'm going to give you what I could not give him. What couldn't God give Moses? The face of the Lord Jesus Christ. To give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Come on, let's just pray in the Spirit for a moment. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Worship the Lord. Do it out loud. Do it with your hands raised. Do it with your voice raised. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. We're not done with this yet. It'd just be good to hear from the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hold your place right here and go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 is that great faith chapter. It goes through all these Old Testament characters. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac and Jacob and Rachel and Sarah. And by faith and by faith and over and over. The different ones by faith. And in verse 23, he comes to Moses and he says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You got to remind me one more time. Moses, Old Testament guy, New Testament guy. Then how on earth did he have what it took in making this decision where the word says he esteemed the reproach of Christ? Of who? Who's he talking about? Jesus. He esteemed the reproach of the anointed one and his anointing, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, greater riches than in all of Egypt because he looked to the reward. Moses saw a lot, but he didn't see everything. Can I tell you what I believe he saw? He saw one who was coming. He saw one who had to come. And he saw that it ha he had to come out of these people. And he esteemed the reproaches of the Lord Jesus Christ as greater riches than in all of Egypt because he looked, he looked, he looked to the reward. By faith, verse 27, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses is saying, I can see him almost. 
Why couldn't he see him? The veil. There's a veil. But the veil is removed in Christ Jesus. And we go from that glory that was good but not perfect to this glory. And again, this chapter, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, Abraham, uh, uh, every one of these, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Moses, by faith, Joseph, by faith, by faith, by faith, all these Old Testament characters until you get to verse 40 and it says, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. As wonderful as their experience was, it wasn't perfect. That word perfect means complete. Once again, was Moses' experience complete? No. As wonderful as it was, it wasn't perfect. You know what he was waiting on? Me and you. God brought him to a point, but said, Moses, I can't take you past this point. I gotta wait for some others. Are you getting this? And it's at this point here that I just, I become at a loss. Because all day, I've been seeing this. I've been reading scriptures about the glory of the Lord and how God said over and over, my glory shall fill the face of the earth. For I am the Lord and I have spoken it. My glory shall be over the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we think about the glory and you think about it in the context of the Old Testament. Yeah, there was that cloud of glory. But what do clouds do? Guys, our Father's not a cloud. You know that, right? What does a cloud do? When you go outside and there's a bunch of clouds, what do you say? The sun's not out. But okay, really is the sun, did the sun really not come out today? No. What's the problem? You can't see it. Why? Cloud. So you got the veil constricting and God hiding himself in this cloud. I've been reading this all day long, searching for this. God, I don't know enough about this yet. I, I see that. I see the cloud. I see the fire. I see the miracles of the Old Testament. I see the, the ways you led your people, all of it, demonstrations of the glory of God. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus showed up at a dead man's grave named Lazarus, and he said, roll away that stone. And they said to him, Lord, he's been dead four days. And Jesus said, did I not say to you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they rolled away the stone and Jesus shouted Lazarus get out here and Lazarus got up and came out what was that a demonstration of the glory of God every blind eye that he opened a manifestation of the glory what else was it what else was it a manifestation of Jesus do we see now that it's the same thing the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that is in the face of Jesus Christ. Every blind eye opened, every lame leg made to walk, every dead man raised, every demonstration, every miracle was a demonstration and a manifestation of the glory of God. But yet there was something in me all day going, Lord, I see that, but what is the glory? What is the glory? I see what it does, but what is it? And he finally had to bring me to this point today. And he said, Jeremy, I don't want to explain it to you. I just want to show you.
The best definition that we have for the glory of God is the presence of God, heavy with everything good. That's what that word glory means. It means heavy and, and weighty. And I kid you not, for over a week, maybe more like two weeks, coming into this meeting, Sarah and I both have had this thing on the inside of us. And there were times when all we knew to do was pray in the Spirit. It, I, I kept saying this. I would say to her and others that we were asking to pray, I would say, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't like this word, but it just feels heavy. It just feels heavy. And I didn't like the word because I, I, my God is not a burden he doesn't put burdens on people he removes burdens and I didn't like the word heavy but it's all I knew to say and we're praying and we're praying in the spirit and I never felt like something was wrong I just didn't know what was up and all I knew to do was pray in the spirit and at the end of it say okay Lord thank you I received that whatever it was and today I'm walking back and forth in this room in that same brick just sitting in the middle of my chest going, God, what is this? He said, you need to get more familiar with my glory. Don't resist what I'm telling you to yield to. He's telling me nothing's wrong. I'm sorry. You remember when the cloud of glory so filled that temple where those priests were singing, the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. And they said it over and over and over. And the cloud of the glory of God filled that place. And the Bible says the priests could not even stand to minister. It got so heavy. It got so weighty. But the weight was, the weight was that part of God that made God God. And when you sense that begin to move on you, don't fight it, yield to it. If you have to, drop to your knees and take that veil off your face. And don't you ever again cry out to God, show me your glory. That's what Moses said. Don't go back to that glory. Here we are going, show me your glory, show me your glory, show me your glory. And God's going, I did. I have. Be very watchful over asking God for asking God to do things for you that He's already done. Be very watchful over asking Him to do something for you that He already did through Jesus. Just receive. Just receive. And maybe I'm the only one. Maybe it's because I don't know enough about it to communicate it right. But ah, glory, I don't know what else to say. Now, if this next part, if you can't get excited about this, I'm going home. Verse 6, it is the God who's commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure. What treasure? Good Lord, quit crying. We have this treasure. What treasure? Somebody help me. Thank you. Say it like you mean it. What treasure? 
not just the glory, it's the light of the knowledge, the experience of the glory that's found only in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Can I see all the hands of earthen vessels? Very interesting word here that Paul used writing to this church because this church was in the middle of a region who was known for exporting large amounts of earthen vessels, clay pots. They came up with a a way to make pottery look expensive but was actually cheap. You thought Target invented it. No, the Corinthians did it. And that's that when you look at that word and study it, that's what he's drawing a parallel to. It's just clay pottery, clay vases and bowls and containers. And he said, we have, we have what the world before us couldn't have. And it's such precious treasure. You can see where honor comes back into this. We have this precious treasure in one of these cheap clay pots. The treasure is inside this earthen vessel that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. People asking, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Where's your glory? I want to see it like I saw it. I want to see it like they saw it. The generations past, where's the glory? Where's the glory? Where's the glory? Can I tell you where the glory is? Come here. No, closer. Come here. In you. It's in you. Quit looking for it everywhere else. The manifestation of the glory that you long for is already in you. Let it out. Yield to it. Look at what this glory does. Verse 8, we are hard pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. Isn't that interesting? What happens when you take a piece of cheap clay pottery and you apply great pressure, equal pressure on every side at the same time? What will a piece of cheap pottery do when you press it on every side at the same time? It will crush unless there's something in it that's strong enough to resist back. Do you want to know what's sustaining you? You want to know what's keeping you from being crushed? It's the glory of God found only in the face of Jesus Christ. That is so filling you. And if you'll allow it to continue to, and if you'll learn to yield to it, it will keep you from being crushed because it's in you. We're pressed but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Somebody please tell me what happens with a piece of cheap pottery sitting on this table when it's struck down to the ground. It shatters and it's destroyed unless there's something in it that miraculously sustains it. And when you and I are struck down, what is it that's sustaining us? It is Jesus and the glory that's found only in His face. And it's in you. It's in you. We get to see the face. We get to see the face. 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. The problem is when you step up to the mirror and you see yourself, that's a problem. You're not supposed to see you. You're supposed to see Him. Not only are you supposed to see Him, I, I love this. It says beholding, and, and for our entire weekend, we've been saying that word means to look, but there's this other meaning that I neglected to tell you. And you read another translation, and it says this, reflecting. That means when the mirror is held up to you, you're the reflection. How do I say this, Lord? It's as though Jesus himself walked up to the mirror and the reflection that is you staring back at him. When Jesus looks in a mirror, who does Jesus see? Jesus. The only way to find grace is to find it in the way he sees you. That's why God said, you have found grace in my sight. Because this is how I see you. I quit looking at your exterior a long time ago. I'm looking through you. And I see the light of the knowledge of the glory, my glory, that's in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you remember Colossians chapter 1 from a couple of nights ago? Getting carried away with Jesus. Firstborn. The head of the church. In all, through all, before all. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. This is who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. And he comes down to the 27th verse. Which I thought I knew. Evidently I didn't until today. When he says to him, God willed to make known what is the mystery, which is Christ, where? In you, the hope of glory. You want to know a big key to the manifestation of this glory in our lives and in our church and in this body? It's the expectation of it. That's what hope is. It's expectation. The best definition of hope that I've ever heard is defined like this. It is a earnest, red-hot expectation with outstretched neck. That's the picture the Bible word hope creates. And we've thought hope means <clears throat> just good things to come. But that's not why hope exists in you. Hope exists in you to cause you to expect a manifestation of the glory. Is it just me? Or is it getting heavy in here? Last place I'll take you in scripture. Can you handle one more? Why don't you stand on your feet for this? <clears throat> Thank you, Lord.
y'all forgive me for not knowing enough about this. I'll learn as much as I can and give me another chance. I'll, we'll get it even, even more right than this. John 17, Jesus, in verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. You going to read these words with me again? What's he say? Glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you. Again, experiential knowledge. The only true God. I need a Kleenex. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified. Come on, say it with me. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, here we go. Now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Let there be light. Jesus was there when those words were spoken. And the God who caused the light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Look at verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Can I see all the hands who that would apply to? So he's praying over the disciples, but he's also praying over you. He's also praying over me. I pray not, I pray, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. <clears throat> that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me. And I in you, that they, talking to us, that we, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect, complete. Nothing about this experience is missing. We're not missing anything anymore. We've gone from that glory. Now we're at the one that's perfect. Now we're at the one that's complete. That they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Swallow that. Our Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Amen, that's good. Come on, y'all. He loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Is there anything he wouldn't do for Jesus? Why? He loves him. Is there anything he wouldn't do for you? No. Why? He loves you. 
Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these men have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Thank you, Jesus, for sharing your glory with us. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. I hope you believe me when I say I wasn't trying to work anything up tonight. Then this is not Sarah's the crier, y'all, not me. But the glory of God is so heavy, so wonderfully, so beautifully heavy. so preciously heavy. And when Jesus said, I will love him and manifest myself to him, this is what he was talking about. I will show you my glory. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 I just can't get over that, y'all. We get to see the face. And I think the only level of glory that awaits us is when Jesus returns to take us home with Him. That's a level of glory that I certainly don't know how to say anything about. But as perfect and as complete as it can be on this earth right now, that's been done, that's been accomplished. And I beg you, do not go back to this glory over here that was passing and fading away. Quit begging God to do something for you that He's already done. Stop saying, show me your glory and start saying, I see the glory. I behold the glory. I behold the glory. The light of the knowledge of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus.